Well, once again, it's just the two of us, Sebastian. Mano y mano. No more politics, no more election, no more guest to Palooza. Welcome back to Mars on Life. I am, as always, Ryan Mancini, one of your hosts. And with me, as always, uh, Sebastian Shug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great to be back. Um, it's it's kind of weird not having um, so many people join in. It's, it's kind of sad, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that you kind of take for granted. But um, you know, honestly, I'm I'm back to getting in the swing of things uh when it comes to politics it's it's something i haven't even remotely touched Mm. let alone thought about these last few days and um uh well that's for the best but uh you know life goes on oh yeah and and as i've said before the show must go on and at least with this remaining line of this remaining lineup of episodes uh, for season one, they're definitely going to hit home in regards to, you know, both the show itself, but also the point of the show and talking a little bit about arts and entertainment, as well as a little bit of that beautiful yet very uh, horrific place known as Los Angeles. So stay tuned for more on that. Um, now, as I sort of teased last week, the topic for today's show, it's a little bit out of the news cycle, especially given that the person we're about to talk about passed away on Halloween. Uh, But of course, I'm referring to Sir Sean Connery, uh, died at the age of 90. He was still in retirement um, after about, I think, eight years of it. I know that he had gone into retirement after (laughs) the first very failed attempt at a uh, crossover cinematic universe that basically started with the crossover and that was uh the league of extraordinary gentlemen and then he came back and did like some animated work i think in like 2012 ish this episode will kind of focus a little bit on his career and you know i think in a lot of ways like i i like this idea just because you and i have talked a lot about our reverence for uh indiana jones and the last crusade and right I think a part of it is definitely his role in that movie. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I haven't met anyone who, you know, and this is just from personal anecdote and experience. I haven't met anyone who places Raiders of the Lost Ark over Last Crusade, uh, both amazing movies on their own merits. But the dynamic in the third one, it was uh, it was stellar, to say the least. Mm -hmm. So. And of course, we don't talk about two, but <laughs> <laughs> two, although um, I'll, I'll give two more credit than four, because four is the one that. Yeah, oh. yeah, I suppose so. Um, You know, the thing is, when I got the news that Sean Connery passed, that was all I had to go off of of Sean Connery, which is kind of damish if you think about it, considering his filmography to boot. But, you know, if I'm being quite honest, I didn't grow up with the Sean Connery james bond i grew up with the daniel craig james bond Mm -hmm. um does that negate him as an actor absolutely not it's just me being late to the party very very late to the party i feel like it's something that we can definitely talk at length because you being a warner brothers family it's (laughs) it's you know film is your forte so yeah well and 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 trust me on the topic of bond 
I'm absolutely in the same boat as you. My very first exposure ever to James Bond was not the video game. I'm going to make this clear for our listeners. Not the video game version of GoldenEye, but the film GoldenEye. Um, it, It came out right after I was born. It was a movie that my parents absolutely loved and would watch constantly, along with an actual Sean Connery movie that I'll get to later. Um, I won't try and get too much into it because it's a movie that, even though they love it, it's a movie that puts them to sleep, but they still love it. Um, but, you know, it's I, I grew up on that kind of pseudo-dark, pseudo-90, well, wasn't even just pseudo 90s it was the 90s uh mildly roger moore campy era that was the pierce brosnan films it wasn't quite film noir it was it was more flashy you know ka-chow yeah like (laughs) goldeneye goldeneye was pretty close at getting to old school bond in a way that you had to given that this was the first bond film following the end of the cold war which was literally the point of James Bond to begin with was the Cold War. And that's where I, I will put Pierce Brosnan aside for a moment and, and kind of touch on uh, Sean Connery's career going into James Bond. Now, beforehand, he did try out for, Miss, I think it was Mr. Universe, which later Arnold Schwarzenegger would participate in. And that's because he, you know, Sean Connery was into bodybuilding, but not in the kind of bodybuilding that, Americans were into in the early 50s into the early 60s. And so at that point, that was when he basically thought, well, maybe I should get into acting. And landing the role of James Bond. uh, He took the Schwarzenegger approach, huh? (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Well, with Schwarzenegger, he had, that's just it. He had the, you know, the charisma. He already had his pre-established charisma of, you know, come on, milk is for babies, talking about stuff and pumping iron. <laughs> um, and he was known for his body, whereas Sean Connery, he had the looks of an actor like a Cary Grant or, and this is going to be a stretch, and I apologize because I hate this actor, John Wayne. Like, he had that brooding <laughs> yeah. macho, you don't macho like, man. You don't like John Wayne? I, see, listen, I what's, what's OK, hold on. What's your deal with so with with John Wayne? Because, I, you know, you can't you can't sit there <laughs> and tell me that True Grit, Rio Bravo, El Dorado, you know, like, I mean, yes, you're comparing two different actors from two different genres. One is of the detective type and one is a Western. Okay, yeah. like primarily what they focused in. Um, do you hate him as an actor, or do you just hate, or do you hate the movies that he's it's, in, or the role that he that he took? There was, you know, some, like the machismo, like the machismo was, I mean, that was the bread and butter of like the western. And yeah. you could argue that Sean Connery, being the oh, he's the other side of the coin, you know, innumerable badass that he was, he just took it in a different direction with the different. genre that he portrayed himself in so absolutely they kind of just seem like one in the same foil the difference is with sean connery is that i think he had a kind of charisma in his films that john wayne never really had in my opinion like 
there's an aspect to it where it just sounds like he's reading what he can remember and trying to be tough or a Sean Connery. And this is something you see in almost every James Bond after the fact is that he doesn't try to go at something with this idea of, you know, I'm the toughest badass in the room and I'm going to fight you for it. It's more like I'm just going to inundate you with one liners until you either give up or I throw a laser at you <laughs> or I throw I mean, you, you got... into a pool full of sharks or you know, something like that. Right. I, um, or I let you get away. <laughs> like I mean, you can, I mean, you can definitely, you can definitely say that many, many people have built their careers based on catchphrases and you could even lump Clint Eastwood in there as well. If you really feel inclined, like I said, I didn't grow up watching the Connery movies, you know, mm-hmm. like the Connery bond movies. Yeah. So, there's you know, something, I, but I'm sure you yeah. can pinpoint several lines. Of course, they're oh, escaping of course. me right now. But, you know, when when he was cast for the first time, the author of the James Bond books, Ian Fleming, did not like him because Ian Fleming basically modeled James Bond after not only how he looked and the fact that he was kind of Mr devil may care but also his experience as a secret agent during world war ii and so he looked at at, uh, sean connery and basically thought who's this six foot two beefcake and i'm you know five foot four and i'm thin and i've got a you know cigarette filter whereas he's just you know puffing marlboros every chance he can get and it's what hollywood will do to you (laughs) <laughs> you know it, it, and, it and, and and like and like the bastardization of that is mm-hmm. evident obviously because hollywood is definitely going to take some liberties with that oh yeah you know uh, personally I, you know and i can't speak from other i can't speak from other you know perspectives of celebrities and you know and other individuals who have had movies made about them because this isn't a biopic right but if it's cast about if if it's modeled after Ian Fleming and modeled after i suppose what he did when he was a naval intelligence officer mm-hmm. secret agent ooh you know like that is like naval intelligence officer doesn't sell movie tickets it's the fact right. that he's a secret agent you know yeah uh, it, it it's a buzzword bingo before it was even buzzword bingo exactly I can't speak for others, but I'd personally be flattered. <laughs> uh, speaking as someone who is a six foot, uh, excuse me, 150 pound individual, it's um, you know, it's it's kind of nice to be portrayed in something that is uh, more akin to one's inner superhero. Yeah, and I think you know, with Sean Connery, what was also fascinating was that his portrayal of bond at least in in that very that very first movie dr no i and this is going to be one of those blasphemous things that ryan says dun 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 which is i would put his first film way above his third film and his third film is what's considered the greatest bond movie of them all which is goldfinger where you get so many great lines like uh well you don't like you don't like octopussy well, that's Roger Moore. Um, I'd have to get my friend Roble to come on to talk about that one. He's that one he was obsessed with just because of the name of the film. And I was like, yeah. okay, 
But, you know, and that's the one where you hear all the great lines like, you know, oh, you expect me to talk? And Goldfinger goes, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die, you know, and when he meets Pussy Galore and he's like, oh, I must be dreaming, you know, like there's and there's a couple weird moments like when he spanks a girl and he says, you know, men talk when he's talking with his CIA pal, Felix Leiter. Um, You know, there's some there's some of that in the earlier Bond films that they mock later on, especially in Goldeneye, where Judi Dench gives that great line of uh telling James Bond that he's a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, which is very Mm -hmm. true. Um, (laughs) But in that first film, when he's introduced as Bond, you know, he's playing poker and there's this gal that they wanted to have. I forgot the character's name, but they wanted her to be a recurring kind of foil for Bond. And they ultimately turned her into they didn't turn her into Money Penny, but her character traits they passed on to Money Penny so that there's always that one woman that Bond just can never get himself around. Um, right. But the introduction where, you know, she's like telling him, you know, you played a really good game. And then she says, you know, Mr. And he's lighting a cigarette. And right as he says it, he, of course, says the immortal line of Bond, James Bond. And the music swells into the James Bond theme. It's such a perfect way to introduce this character. And even after the fact that the opening music for the film, it's not, you know, Adele or Paul McCartney or Duran Duran. It's like three blind mice. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing. It's re- it literally is nothing to write home about. Um, I would argue him in Dr. No, that first film, it's so classic in that it was the closest, the closest that any of his films got to what Ian Fleming imagined. And Ultimately, Ian Fleming loved Sean Connery in the role so much that he retconned Bond's origin and made him Scottish, which Mm. Ian Fleming is not. And so every time that they've got a new Bond, you know, whether he's Welsh, like Timothy Dalton, or Irish, like uh, Pierce Brosnan, or Australian, like George Lazenby, who had one outing as Bond, they're, they're all born in Scotland. Technically, even though they're not walking around saying, you know, oh, hey, I'm Daniel Craig. Nice to see you. You know, like there's none of that. (laughs) And Daniel Craig, you know, to kind of bring it around with Skyfall, that's why Skyfall wraps up in Scotland, you know, and it's right. right. That was actually the first movie I ever saw of uh, James Bond. I mean, that's how I got introduced to Daniel Craig. Yeah, Uh, I remember seeing it. Oh, man. Freshman year of high school. When did that come out? 2013? Uh, I'm blank. I'm blanking on it. 2012. Okay, so yeah. I was still uh, freshman year in high school. Oh, I I love Skyfall. It's I rewatched it before uh, this week, and it's it holds up so wonderfully. It's such a love letter to the franchise, and you know it came out 50 years after uh, Doctor No, mm-hmm. so much like Doctor Who. An excellent 50th anniversary special. <laughs> um, and I, I'll put it this way to kind of wrap up the James Bond portion of this. I would say that his first three, like if I had to recommend his movies to you, actually not even his first three, his first four, I think I could easily recommend because there might be some teeny tiny hints of campiness, but it's nothing compared with the Roger Moore era where it was just camp full stop. 
but there is a grit in all of them that you really never see until the Timothy Dalton era, which of course goes away until the Daniel Craig era. But mm-hmm. two other little fun or three little fun tidbits I'll mention uh, about Sean Connery's run as 007. He wrapped up. I'm just going to make sure I'm getting my ordering right because his technically third to last Bond movie is very uh, is very heavy to get through because uh, much like the song, he turns Japanese in the movie. Um, like he, they literally put makeup on him and give him slanted eyes and a wig because he's supposed to be in disguise because he fakes his own death. And he has hmm. to get married too, which is technically in the books where he gets married to a, a Japanese woman. Um, and that one is You Only Live Twice, which also introduces uh, Blofeld. You know, right. which basically that's how you get Christoph Waltz. Yeah, exactly. Wonderfully played by Donald Pleasance. He's it's the perfect kind of supervillain. But he left after that movie. yeah well donald pleasance i mean didn't he he had to go he was in halloween wasn't he that was yes. actually his last his last role was halloween oh god he did six. One of, something like that yeah he did it yeah. he did one of the sequels yeah yeah that was um no donald pleasance was in he he was in many he was in multiple halloween movies but i think i believe halloween six i could be dead wrong on this please Please don't crucify me now, but um, him, the the scene of him uh, seeing the thorn on his wrist and screaming, mm-hmm. that was his that was his actual last on air time. Wow, yeah, it was his last shot ever. Uh, and wow. if you want to count the uh, director's cut, where it just cut to a picture of a knife and Mike uh, the Michael Myers mask lying on the street. And you hear Donald Pleasant scream in the background, edited. Mm-hmm. That is the last audio recording we ever have of them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that's just it. This was this was the the first, not only the first time that Bond and Blofeld finally meet, because there's kind of like in the Daniel Craig movies where they basically retconned that his tenure was leading up to this moment. This, as far as I could tell, was just going off of the books and how they were built up to lead to this moment where Bond and Blofeld finally are face to face. And granted, their relationship in Spectre, that was unique to Spectre. It's non-existent in You Only Live Twice. Donald Pleasance didn't return to play Blofeld. They've actually they've had several actors play him even before Christoph Waltz. Um, but Sean Connery left after that movie and, Mm -hmm. you know, he was asked, you know, well, will you come back? And he said, never again. And so they replaced him with George Lazenby, who was just a a supermodel that looked kind (laughs) of sort of like Sean Connery. And that Bond movie, just for goodness sake, Sebastian, if you ever go back and watch the Bond movies, if you find the one called On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I'm pretty sure is the longest Bond title. Just say no. <laughs> In fact, say I doctor. Would, no. I, I would ah. definitely, I would definitely <laughs> want to have like an official marathon because you know, again, I've never seen the originals. Mm-hmm. I would love to, and I suppose having it come around full circle, like I said before, the only thing that I've ever even realized Sean Connery was in 
was in Last Crusade. And, I, you know, as a kid, you don't realize that, you know, it's only right. after your dad tells you, hey, you know, uh, Indiana Jones's dad. Yeah, he was actually James Bond. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you don't piece that together as a kid that like actors can be in different roles. Like, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that this Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> is the same Johnny Depp from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? It's <laughs> like, you know, you don't ha- you don't have that grasp, you know, when right. you're when you're so young. Yeah. Um, Lazenby did one movie. He did one and done. And he was like, bye, fam. I'm gone. And so Sean Connery came back for Diamonds Are Forever. Now, camp. I promise you, camp. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1971, I think. It was woof. Um, oh my god. Like, like I'll put it this way: Jimmy Dean is in that movie. That's how bonkers it gets. Like he goes to the United States and it's <laughs> tacky as hell. And then uh, Warner Brothers tried making their own James Bond movies, and so they remade uh, his fourth movie, Thunderball. And called it Never Say Never Again. And that came out in 1983. And he was definitely that, by the way, 1983, that's six years before Last Crusade came mm-hmm. out. Right. So it and that one, it's unofficial. It's not part of the James Bond, quote unquote, canon. But oh, and mind you, to really come full circle on Octopussy, that was the competition that year. It was never say never again and octopusy. <laughs> so, right. um, and then my my final bond point is, uh, and this kind of goes into the personal anecdote that I've I've been hinting before we started recording in Skyfall. You know the the character Kincaid, yeah, the the groundskeeper at the Skyfall estate. Right. So right, right. the original idea was to have Sean Connery play him. Mm-hmm. And the Broccoli's, the the family that basically owns the rights to the Bond franchise, came to the realization that eh, if we're gonna have Sean Connery in a James Bond movie, he needs to be playing James Bond. You know, like yeah. it, it's gonna, this is gonna be weird if it's Daniel Craig and James Bond, but Daniel Craig is James Bond, and so they ended up getting an actor that Sean Connery had previously worked with in the 1970s uh, on the 74 film Murder on the Orient Express, Albert Finney. And Albert Finney is an actor of great renown in my house because he was good friends with my great uncle Leonard Holmgren. And the reason for that was uh, my uncle Leonard was a for a while he was a stand in. Uh, for a lot of movies like he you know he worked in New York City he worked in Hollywood he was known for his stand-in work where he was basically filling in for actors whenever they had to sort of preset a scene and Mm -hmm. kind of figure out how the actors would move from scene to scene and in fact there's even a few movies where you can see him either from behind and then later on he would be an extra in movies so an example of a movie where he was a stand-in and he is absolutely in the film playing Albert Finney's character. And it should be noted, they were both bald. Like Albert Finney shaved his head for this character I'm about to mention. Uh, Daddy Warbucks in Annie. (laughs) And so there is a shot in Annie where that's my uncle. That's the back of his naturally bald head and not Albert Finney's shaved bald head. 
Um, and they lived together for a while in the UK uh, in the mid to late 60s. And so, you know, and Leonard, he was part of the uh, he was part of IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees that, yes, I'm rereading again from before the recording. Um, and like he was basically known as he became known as kind of the dresser for people like my mom was telling me that the the typical phrase around Hollywood was I want Lenny. One notable actor who said that was Christopher Reeve, Superman himself, wow. you know. And so uh, now, mind you, when he worked in New York, he did not want to dress for Cats when Cats was on Broadway. Um, so I, I like that there's that little animosity about Cats that has permeated and thanks to the recent movie is still vaguely there at least in in my heart uh, <laughs> so, so but yeah uh they were good friends and you know it, it's just kind of fascinating to know that on numerous occasions his best buddy who of course later on was in like i think he was in one of the the jason Bourne movies and albert finney did a whole wide range of films including skyfall but he was in murder on the orient express with sean connery and I got to tell you, and this will be my kind of brief note on this movie, it's better than the that one that came out a few years ago with Kenneth Branagh. I don't know if you ever saw it. I don't think so. Okay. He's got like the horrible Nietzsche mustache, and he's practically doing a Clouseau impersonation the whole time in front of Daisy Ridley and Penelope mm. Cruz. And it's like, this is weird. I mean, granted, it's in the 70s, but it's absolutely a worthwhile movie to check out. Um, now, of course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Highlander. Have you seen Highlander? That is one of those movies that. Uh, see, I was given a list by my stepdad. Ah. And there was a bunch of different movies that I had to see, and I would individually check off every single one. Uh, Highlander, unfortunately, was one of those movies that I never got to mm, okay. um, before I lost the list. So thank you for reminding me. I'm not. I'll put it this way: I'm not the best Highlander fan. It, it's almost like it, it's it's very Terminator. Like there's something copy and paste about it from terminator where it's like oh of course you have this unstoppable force trying to kill this very average joe hero and his lady friend there's i mean there's other little nuggets in there that make it similar to terminator like there's the element of we have to hide from this killing machine played by clancy brown uh who by the way is phenomenal in highlander he's one of the best parts of the film Long story short, it's all just kind of about this Scottish Highlander from several hundred years ago who cannot die. And he realizes this, and then he bumps into the Spaniard named Ramirez, uh, perfectly and wonderfully played by Sean Connery, who's about as uh, Spanish as I am. And he's asking Christopher Lambert questions about, like, Oh, what is this haggish? I've never had it because I'm from Spain. I'm actually from Egypt, but what's haggish? And of course, Christopher Lambert is playing the eternal Scottish warrior, and he's from Belgium. So he's like, you know, well, a haggis, it's like this 
it's like this thing with some sausage and potatoes and it's just it's very it's weird when you listen to the two of them talk to each other because neither of them are trying to pretend that one is spanish when he's really scottish and the other one's scottish when he's really doing a french accent (laughs) um but it's (laughs) yeah it's an interesting role uh for sean connery um right 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 right. I think he kind of reached a point where he realized like playing these more grizzled older guys was going to be his sort of not typecast, but like kind of just the way he was going to be moving forward. And that ties in perfectly with, of course, the untouchables with Kevin Costner, Robert De Niro, uh, the most Cuban Italian you could ever meet Andy Garcia. And of course, Sean Connery. (laughs) Um, Oh man, that's, if you haven't checked that one out, it's oh my god! I rewatched it the night uh, the night before, and it I mean like David Mamet, the the Broadway screen uh, not screenplay but playwright, he wrote the screenplay. Ennio Morricone did the soundtrack, uh, or rather did the score. Brian De Palma directed it. You know, this is the guy that did Scarface, uh, Carlito's Way, like. It's and again, another movie where Sean Connery is playing an Irishman named Malone. But he doesn't sound Irish at all. He sounds like Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, I think that one, I think that would probably be if out of all these movies, that would probably be your favorite. I don't know how you kind of feel about like gangster mobster kind of movies. I mean, as much as I love The Godfather. I know that something won't be able to top that. So how do I put this? I've seen a lot of mob movies. I've seen a lot of uh, mm-hmm. it's all in the family, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and I mean, fuck, think of me as blasphemous for saying this. But, you know, when you go from Godfather to Shark Tale, because that's what it is. It's a mob oh, yeah. movie set underwater. If you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, dude, I, I got to be honest. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> I really can't. There's deception. There's lies. There's money. There's a dame that needs <laughs> that needs a daemon. And there's a uh, and there's the uh, the woman the like the sidekick who's been there all along in the real love interest. And, and, you know, the main character just doesn't see it. You know, some exceptions apply. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I I heard you I I heard you get caught off guard when I said that. Oh, that's all right. Oh no, I mean it's uh, you're not wrong. Like yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Give mean, it another watch. I, I believe it. No, I I scary thing is that movie. Shark Tale's a movie that even though I I've I've seen it probably a handful of times, it is ingrained in my, you know, memory bank of movies that i either need to rewatch or i don't need to rewatch because it was like oh man that left enough of an impact i mean hell joker's like one of those movies where it's like eh, i'm kind of depressed I, I probably don't need to be seeing this right about now <laughs> um i will say though in, in contrast to joker de niro in this movie as al capone it's you know i, I i've said this before to people and at times I've had people either look at me like I was just 
so obsessed with politics that I was seeing Donald Trump and everything. But I will say Robert De Niro as Al Capone is very Trumpian in how he speaks, how he moves his hands. And, you know, mind you, this came out in 87. And, you know, it's still before Sean Connery got to be Henry Jones Sr., Professor Henry Jones Sr., I should say. And again, he's got all these great one-liners where, you know, he's talking with Kevin Costner about things like, you know, oh, Elliot Nash, you ever made a blood oath? No, why? Because you just made one. You know, like he he's just got all these. And it's it's funny because all of his lines in Bond. They really are corny. His one liners in mm-hmm. Bond where it's like, you know, right. I think I think you well, got it's the, the point. Ty- it's the type you know. of shit that just it sticks with you though and it's like i said before you know a catchphrase can really can really sell a franchise um uh more i guess not so much a catchphrase when it comes to james bond uh it's more like a hey that's pretty distinguishable as a secret agent and i know who's playing him you know never never mind the fact that james bond like the character james bond has been shuffled through many different actors Mm. it's james bond (laughs) yeah you know save the catchphrases for uh schwarzenegger (laughs) well and even with that with his character of malone like you know because it's been on tv a lot lately and finally watching it from beginning to end you know like meeting him bump into elliot ness played by kevin costner like at first i can tell that these two guys are like i'm a cop i'm a treasury officer you know, yeah, so what? I told you I had a gun, but you believed me and walked away. You know, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And Sean Connery's reply is basically, who lies and says they're a treasury officer? Which, it, that's a great point. Like, who the hell would say, you know, eh, I work for the treasury. I'm a criminal, but I work for the treasury. Like, yeah. I mean, granted. Well, you now, also would you also wouldn't say it like that. Eh, I work for the <laughs> You know, it's like, um, oh, my God. <laughs> I remember getting into a conversation with um, with a past friend of mine about, you know, different Bond villains and how they all kind of had this aura of authority where it's like, mm-hmm. Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond. Yes. And then there's this one. Um, oh, my God. I can't remember him. He's black. What's his name? Ah, yes. Mr. Bond. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Bond. Yeah. Mr. Bond. You know, it's like it's <laughs> not it's not threatening at all. And doesn't he yeah. like inflate and like blow up or something? Oh, yeah. He he puts, like, an inflatable capsule in his mouth and yeah. makes him bite down on it, and he turns into a big balloon, and it's... Oh, it's full. Oh, live and let die. Oh, my God. Uh, Things where it's like, yeah, I'm not... You know, I'm not taking this seriously, because obviously <laughs> when they casted this, uh, they're not, they weren't taking it seriously. Probably not. I mean, it, I mean Dr. No... Dr. No and uh, From Russia with Love, which was his second Bond film, both of them feel very different from the rest of the franchise, or at least, you know, compared with like the Timothy Dalton or uh, Daniel Craig eras or even Goldeneye, because Goldfinger was ultimately the one that laid the groundwork for just about every single Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's honestly part of the reason why after Spectre, I've grown stale with the franchise where it's like, look, you're doing a great job at rewriting the formula, 
it's just not working, you know, with Spectre and Quantum of Solace and hell. Well, I, I shouldn't even say that about Die Another Day because Die Another Day was basically a poor man's uh, Goldfinger. But like from Russia with Love, that's it, it's it it stands out from the rest of them just because it feels it just feels more theatrical and globetrotting than you know a secret mission. Like it feels very much a Cold War globetrotting film in the early 60s rather than you know oh i'm i'm gonna get into a submarine and fight stormberg you know like in Mm -hmm. uh uh what's it called the spy who loved me which that villain like literally comes out of nowhere great last name stormberg but dude where have you been since the beginning of the movie like you only showed up in the last act like, come on, right. you know, like Goldfinger was about Goldfinger. He was in the movie. He was actually there, <laughs> you know, um, and even with Goldeneye, like they made it personal with Goldeneye. They made it another double O agent that basically fell from grace. And hell, it's Sean Bean. Hell, yeah, you're, you're doing it. You're doing the thing. That's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in The Untouchables, he's he's such a hard ass and. Again, his relationship with Kevin Costner, like I've I've honestly never seen a Kevin Costner movie where he's like that with anyone, where he has that kind of older man that kind of stands up for him and with him and to him and mentors him. And, you know, it's reminiscent of Highlander. It's very reminiscent to Last Crusade. It's definitely similar to The Rock, although even The Rock, there's some differences there with uh, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, but uh, but before we get to, to kind of finalize it on Last Crusade and The Rock, uh, I'll, I'll kind of jump a little bit in history with uh, The Hunt for Red October, which mm. that's the movie that, in a twisted way, that along with Goldeneye and Last Crusade, it was kind of like that was a, a cocktail of movies that my parents pretty much put together and said – Okay, and and this is kind of to your point about Daniel Craig with Sean Connery. That was kind of how my parents were like, okay, you see that guy, the guy who's walking around like this and speaking like this? Yeah. He's James Bond. He used to be. And to mm-hmm. me, it was like, oh, shit, this guy's making other huge movies. Yeah. And he's the lead and he's not James Bond. You like, don't, yeah. Like I said, you don't piece that together because. You know, in the case for me, because like the uh, what I said previously about Sean Connery, that wasn't my first like inundation to the whole. Oh, actors have different roles and this is how they make a living. You know, as I said, mine was Johnny Depp. And when you look at two roles played side by side and it could literally be anything from fucking Edward Scissorhands and Charlie (laughs) and the Chocolate Factory to um Pirates of the Caribbean and oh god, what else? Uh, Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. There you go. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is my favorite one of his movies. Like you're looking at this and you're like, it's like like that can't be the same guy. You know, they look too they look too different, and then the illusion gets shattered when you realize that it's it's all fake. (laughs) Tear rolls down the eye. (laughs) Yeah, You, you know what's going on, right? As a Potter uh, fan, yeah, uh, I, I am very aware of the 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 yeah. saga, if you will. But anyway, with Hunt for October, like, 
it's a little bit of a different role just because he's playing a Soviet submarine commander dealing with Scott Glenn and pre-SNL Alec Baldwin. Uh, and, of course, James Earl Jones just rocking it the whole movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's – and he's got, like, Sam Neill on one side and Tim Curry on the other. The cast is outstanding. Um, Courtney, Courtney B. Vance is in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a solid film. It's just that it's one of those movies that the more and more your parents get you to watch it and you notice they're falling asleep, even though it's one of their favorite movies, you're thinking, am I going to fall asleep too? Oh, Oh, sorry. I don't know if you heard that, but literally my dog just like groaned at just the right time. Pick that up. (laughs) It was so loud. It was so loud in the room. And the way my room is set up is that it just echoes every single sound. And he was just like, mm-hmm. I'm like, me too. Dude. Me too. <laughs> and that makes three of us, you know, and, and you get to hear him speak in, in Russian and it's a little weird. Um, you know, it's like in the movie uh, Rising Sun where he speaks Japanese and you're like, I hope he's speaking Japanese and not making it up. Right. But uh yeah, to kind of circumvent it to Last Crusade. I mean, it's really weird to say this, and, and granted, I'm, I'm about to bring up a topic that definitely needs to be put to bed. There's a weird dichotomy, and maybe it's just because of the fact that George Lucas was invo- involved in both franchises, but there's a weird dichotomy with Henry Jones Sr. slash Jr. relationship and how it – and granted, there's a lot of differences. Don't get me wrong, but – a lot there's a lot of similarities there with kind of the Luke Vader relationship that you're happy to see it be resolved by the end and you're happy to see that there is an understanding there is respect but there's also love at the end of it right. um cuz the whole time he's just you know junior 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 yes she's a natchi <laughs> <laughs> like it's Oh, my God. I mean, it was. I mean, I got to ask, like, how do, how do I put this into words? Like getting having that kind of introduction to him as an actor with The Last Crusade, I guess what since this is kind of the movie that you and I have definitely bonded over when it comes to Sean Connery, like what's what's kind of the feeling been for you and kind of seeing that and getting introduced to that at a young age and kind of understanding what his role in the film means, not just for their family, but especially the character of Indiana Jones, this guy that was first introduced as this hard ass who will shoot you. Right. And try and right. Him or to, to be berated, him to, to be later berated by his father in in the third movie constantly. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've always kind of, um, it, it does strike a bit of a personal chord with me because you know, speaking as someone who hasn't always had the greatest relationship with my own father and has now since been like ameliorated, you know, years ago, watching that movie, like you got to understand the, the movies that I used to watch with my dad, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, uh, Lord of the Rings, those kinds of things, you know, the, the memory of me watching those movies is always going to be with him so to speak. When I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, 
when I started with that one. It was sort of the quintessential movie. Hey, Harrison Ford is in it. This is also Han Solo. You know, everyone knows who mm-hmm. fucking Han Solo is. And it, and it again blew my mind that, you know, actors could be in different roles at such a young age and be like, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. so I watched that, uh, you know, uh, fucking Temple of Doom, whatever. And, <laughs> and then and then we go to Last Crusade. And like I said before, I think the dynamic between father and son really shines the brightest in that movie. And I'm the umpteenth person to say that, okay? I know you can fucking, you can go from Vice News <laughs> to Jezebel to Red Letter Media. I'm sure you have an article written about the dynamic in that movie and why it works so well. Because it yeah. does work so well. And I think when it comes down to adulthood, your parents do be kind of, become helicopter hosts in a sense that okay you're an adult now don't fuck this up yeah of course it's not going to stop you and someone like indiana jones it's like you know it's it's ingrained in him personally i think it's a lot more hilarious than the past two movies oh yeah um the 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 scene with sean connery and the umbrella and the pigeons you know what Mm. what needs to be said it's the dumbest shit i think i've ever seen in the history of cinema and it works. It really um, does. They, they pulled that off in the Lego adaptation in the video game, and it works just as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I it's one of those movies that I, I, of course, have to thank my dad for not only introducing it to me, but understanding why it's important. Um, I'm not a father myself, but vicariously living through that movie understanding the importance of such you know it's it's a lesson that i think a lot of people are sort of disenfranchised from learning if they did grow up in a home that was sort of less than favorable or broken which was my case personally so having movies like that revitalizing the the like the fact that hey despite it all everything's going to be okay indiana jones doesn't know his mom so yeah. who the hell knows where she is? You know, you're only well, they, led to believe that like the parent dynamic is one and one. And of course, <laughs> of course, the dad's going to humiliate the fuck out of his son. That's what he does. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's get all flustered. So, well, and it's, it's just fascinating too, to see, uh, and this, and, and it, and it, James Bond has to kind of get reintroduced at this point just because that was part of the thinking with his casting, you know, because originally when Steven Spielberg and George Lucas thought of the idea of Indiana Jones, Spielberg's immediate idea was, yeah, I want to do a James Bond movie. And it was after, you know, talking with George Lucas and, of course, George Lucas is Mr., you know, I remember everything from the 1930s and 40s, all those serials, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers. Right. I also read Joseph Campbell. Like, he he is such a wealth of knowledge. And, I, you know, that's credit he deserves because, let's face it, we wouldn't have that first Star Wars movie without any of that. Mm-hmm. But we also would not have that first Indiana Jones movie without any of that in a lot exactly. of ways. Yeah. And, you know... There's a lot of irony there in that, you know, James Bond, played by Sean Connery, he was meant to be a very kind of conservative, straight-laced uh, Englishman, and, yeah. and which leads to a great 
discussion I've heard countless times, which is James Bond, quote unquote, was not a fan of the Beatles, which is something I've always loved to hear about just because as a Beatles fan or as uh, Sean Connery's future co-star uh, co Nicolas Cage would say, I'm a Beatlemaniac. It's always interesting to kind of get to see him go from a very straight-laced guy to being the, the sort of rogue that he is as Bond. Mm -hmm. But then years later, he, his son is that way. And granted, he's playing a di totally different character in Henry Jones Sr., but there's little hints of that even in uh, The Last Crusade with Elsa and, you know, that whole relationship that is, is so laughable. Um, right. And, and seeing that kind of mutual respect that they do develop for each other as time goes on, you know, it's, and I know, uh, Steven Spielberg's talked about this with regards to the scene on the beach where it's the end of this long chase sequence where once again, we see why both Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford cannot land a plane. Um, <laughs> thank and also thanks for the reminder uh force awakens um where you know sean connery he's using his umbrella to make doves turn into kamikaze pilots on a freaking german stuka you know and it's like one of those things that you never thought you'd see and then he walks away doing his uh i suddenly remembered my charlemagne let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky and to see the look on Indy's face like and, and you know everything that you said about growing up and you know your relationship with your dad it's a lot that I can relate to incredibly so um and you know to see something like that and to see a character like Indiana Jones who you know is this he is his own unstoppable force but he's also incredibly human and so to see right. him kind of have that moment of reverence for this cantankerous old man that's been pissing him off for the last hour and a half, more or less, it's it's just fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. And to kind of see that relationship blossom, especially towards the end of the film and, you know, the risk that Sean Connery's character, the, the risk he puts himself in. Unfortunately, just by being there, it just makes that adventure all the more personal for Indy in a way that, as a viewer, I don't think we really realized it until the the champion of the Battle of Hoth, uh, General Veers, a.k.a. Walter Donovan, shoots him, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's and, – and it's bittersweet, and I know I really don't want to talk about this movie, but in – Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, when he looks at the photos of Marcus Brody and his father, and he's like, you know, it's been a rough couple of years, first dad and then Marcus. Mm -hmm. You know, Denholm Elliott, unfortunately, had, had passed on prior to the filming of that movie, so getting Marcus back was not likely. They did want to get Sean Connery out of retirement. Right. And be Henry right. Jones one last time. And I, I, I that's one of those missed opportunities that even though the movie is a total stink fest, you know, I, I still like the idea that he'd show up at the end during the wedding and be like, mm, party. Sorry, I wasn't invited. 
as much negativity as that movie gets, I, I am I I applaud them for giving a shit to at least finalize it. Apparently not, because they're coming up with a fifth movie, and I don't know how the hell they're going to do that. But, you know, that was another one of those movies that I saw when I was a kid, and that was sort of the standalone Indiana Jones movie for me, because I had seen Crystal Skull before I had seen uh, Raiders, Temple, and Last Crusade. Oh, wow. So, me knowing who Indiana Jones was... Primarily mm-hmm. through, well, primarily through Legos and action figures, mm-hmm. uh, realizing that, you know, kids like me were allowed to see movies like this. It was like, hell yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> and of course you think it's cool. You know, you don't think it's as cool once you finally have something to compare it to, like movies one, two, and three. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, oh, Supernatural, uh, uh, Shia LaBeouf, who, you know, wasn't a total shit show back then. He was on the cusp of it, though. That was yeah. That, that was, was right around the time of Transformers Two and his DUI and yeah. yeah. Was when he started to um go off the deep end. Though I will say, I will say, when it comes to Shia LaBeouf, I did like Peanut Butter Falcon. I digress. Mm. Uh, he he managed to save himself sort of before becoming a total meme by the. Uh, <laughs> by 4chan which is something i could full i could wholeheartedly get behind because it's the funniest shit ever and if you don't believe me look up he will not divide us season one through six. Oh my oh boy it is so do you not do you not know what that is i i feel i think i've i've heard of it i okay. i'm right i'm gonna make a note of it because right. i shia I'll, labeouf I'll, I'll you... put it this way the only post one of the few post kingdom of the crystal skull things i saw him in was nymphomaniac and the less that's said about them that movie the better with <laughs> notes version of it essentially um upon donald trump's inauguration in 2016 shia labeouf had installed a digital art piece oh man in multiple places of the world uh he first started i believe in california i don't know anyway they were at different art galleries around the world and it was a live stream it was a 24-hour live stream of a wall of a white wall that said he will not divide us with a camera atop those words Mm -hmm. people were allowed to stand in front of the camera say whatever they want and basically it was basically a big fuck you you know and it still is because it's technically still ongoing hmm 4chan took it upon themselves to completely troll this exhibit and do whatever it took to shut this down. So whether it be having AIDS Bjorn come or the Milk Nazi or, you know, several mis- – oh, Brittany Venti even showcased herself. You know, a ton of alt-right people. Mm-hmm. Uh it got shut down because it was just like the fuck we don't want to deal with this. It was the museum mm-hmm. curators who was just like Shia, you got to take this shit elsewhere. <laughs> when actually, came... the more you talk about it, the more I, it, it's yeah, really it's, sounds familiar. It's coming huh? back to me. Okay. Yeah. What really set this whole thing off was when Shia LaBeouf had had put a flag that stated, uh, "He will not divide us" mm-hmm. in an undisclosed location. 
with a camera pointing up at the sky, 24-hour live stream, it just flowing in the wind. There was no indication of where it was or any factors determinant of, you know, nobody in their right minds would find it. Like, Mm. you, you look at this scenario and you're like, okay, it's a white flag with black text in the sky, you know, camera pointed upwards. How the hell is anyone supposed to find this? Mm-hmm. 4chan did it and they did it and i think less than 36 hours mm-hmm. they utilized wind patterns airplane charts the sounds of a swamp nearby miscellaneous social media posts that narrowed down the area further and further and they took the flag and they replaced it with a maga hat and shirt and it was all on the live stream hmm <laughs> You really wow. no no dude you really need to check this out you know and they brought this flag to um to England they brought this flag to you know a cabin in the woods that again nobody in their right mind would fi- find they found it you know except Ash <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was truth be told it's hysterical and that's huh. kind of when it fell off the deep end I would highly recommend checking out uh, internet historians uh, recount of it he has it clearly marked in a playlist of um you know uh Hindu you know he will not divide us season 1 through 6 I believe oh my Maybe god five. that that's such an app that's such a it's oh, wow. dude Hindu give it a, that's give it a watch it's um it's great it's it, it, it the lengths that people go to it's it's whack but back to uh <laughs> but back to, back to dad yeah back to, back to dad back to james bond um you know i feel like we could go on and on about this but yeah it's you know it as as hard as it is to say much like alex trebek much mm-hmm. like eddie van halen much like david bowie freddie mercury and so many people that we've mentioned briefly on the show, mm-hmm. we can recall all we want. They're not coming back. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, the memory is going to live on, whether it be silently or doing things like this. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, the 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 interesting thing that you bring up with Alex Trebek, even compared with Sean Connery is and, and hell, all of those all of those guys, you know. He'd pretty much been out of the public eye for a long time following the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen being what it was. Uh, I have seen it. If you have, uh, God be with you, uh, said the atheist. Um, but, you know, it's uh, I think if anything, it's it's kind of like he went away and, you know, he died at 90. And it's like, you know what? the idea that he would return to film was not likely at all. So I think it's, while it's absolutely tragic, I think he leaves behind a very, very indomitable record that Hollywood is going to cherish. And, you know, it's going to be a tall order in the future for whoever succeeds uh, Daniel Craig. And, and, you know, he has proven himself to be an incredibly capable bond, much like Sean Connery had. Um, but it's definitely, that's the standard. 
and it's going to be a tall order going forward. But of course, one interesting thing I'll, I'll mention too, he was only 12 years older than uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. No, which I know. is kind of a goofy, uh, a goofy way to have a character play your father when they're, they're only, you know, they're, they're old enough to basically be like, you know, Oh yeah. I, I remember uh, weed and the Kennedys too. Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um now and now before i before we wrap up that one little nugget that i wanted to share with you that i thought you'd get a little kick out of that was related to iatsi um so last week after i was sharing around our final election episode uh with listeners friends what have you i i shared it on this one group chat that i'm on with other politically minded people as myself. And there's one gentleman on that chat who was a zealous with a capital Z zealous uh, supporter of Jank Uger when he ran for Congress in my congressional district that I live in. Mm-hmm. And I took a screenshot of what the guy had said because it was so just bonkers because it, it was almost like he was He's one of those people that likes to basically vet whether you're a quote unquote true progressive, which the way I see it, true progressivism is there's a lot of toxicity there that I won't get into. Uh, But I basically talked about our show. We covered the election, et cetera. And this gentleman had the moment to ask me, is your co-host a Republican or a right wing Democrat? (laughs) You want the uh, oh okay so is he asking me or are you asking me? Because I'll I'll gladly answer. He he asked me and I basically replied that neither he's an Angelino long tired of politics. Hmm. And then I basically said oh. he's a master satirist who has had a lot of exposure to conservative media. Oh and by the way, check out part two. Uh, he does a killer Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Well, I so did my so Slavo Zizek. So he's listened. So he's listened to my voice. He's listened to my opinions. I don't know. I mean, though. that's just uh, okay. I doubt. I doubt he has. Uh, okay. I, really I mean, has. no, no. But but you know what? To be fair, in his in his defense, it, it's easy to kind of think that way, you know, because I do have a lot of a lot of critical opinions that I think a lot of people would not have, especially in the time that we're in. And for me to, you know. I, either blow it off in the manner that I do or to critically analyze it to the point of being, you know, spiraling down my own rabbit hole. You you know, it's very easy to come to that conclusion of, you know, this guy, this guy's got something about him. (laughs) You know, this, this guy's a deep state guy, you know? (laughs) Oh, trust me. He said that about me and it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm covert. We just talked about a guy who, made a career off of pretending to be covert and i'm covert yeah Yeah. i mean look in all in all seriousness it's the the textbook definition of what it means to be a republican what it means to believe in meritocracy and uh what it means to be someone who takes pride in his own work you know it it is appealing does that (laughs) happen absolutely not because you have so many nuances when it comes to being an artist let alone someone who dabbles in the conservative arts or at least the conservative talking points of arts that 
Yeah, I guess you could say turn some heads. Do I find it interesting? Absolutely. The same reason why I find liberal arts interesting, which is uh, what I majored in. Uh. <laughs> so, you know, um, independent, I guess, could be a good answer. But, you know, you put a gun to my head, I will definitely say that I I support certain policies and I don't support other policies. So there you go. And honestly, I I said Angelino. I don't know if you were born in L.A. or or Burbank or I would assume L.A. just because that's where I was born. Um, and I later lived in Burbank for a while. Um, I don't know. Were you born in L.A.? No, no, no. I I said I was born in Burbank. Oh, okay, okay. I I that cut out. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. So. But you definitely you, you you have a good Angelino vibe. I'll put it that way. Um, I, you know, and I, I say that as like the foreign myself. Angelino myself. I don't take <laughs> myself as seriously as I think a lot of people think that I do. Um, you know, when it comes down to satire and parody, it, it's it's very easy to it's very easy to paint yourself in the depiction of you know Mark Twain, for example, where it's like. Oh, very highbrow. This is going to be analyzed for centuries upon centuries in defining the deeper meaning. And it's like, you know, you could say that. You could also say in a very point blank manner that it was one white guy who got away with saying the N word 1500 times in a book. And he did. And he did. Oh, you yeah. want to read the uncensored version? It's fucking out there. You want That's to... what they made us read in high school. <laughs> you want to have you want to have guff with him? Dig him up. <laughs> you know fucking you know truly death is the is the ultimate escape of an artist because i've i've long since been of the belief that it isn't until after an artist dies or offs himself in the most creative way that he that he or she can that they actually receive publicity for it right you now i mean just look at lee israel you know she wasn't she was a nobody until she committed literary forgery and by that point she was already diagnosed and dead with cancer. Yeah. And in 2015. And then, and then when her memoir came out with Melissa McCarthy, that was four years later. Yeah. And she went on, she went, you know, unrecognized. So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, do you, do you sacrifice your pride and your ego and potentially your, how do I put this? uh, Your humility to be someone that you're not, or do you, Play your cards in the best way you can. Hope that the dice rolls land in your favor and pick up the pieces and form mm-hmm. an identity that way. You know, I. Yeah. No, I'm 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 reading a whole book about it by uh, English author Martin Amis. He's talking about you know writers and essayists and poets like specifically Philip Larkin, Saul Bellow, and his closest and dearest friend who. This guy's name has been brought up a lot of times. Uh, Paul Joseph Watts. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Christopher Hitchens. <laughs> so, um, but that'll be. I'll, I'll save that for a for a bonus episode or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So, and actually, in a, in a funny way, on your point on satire, you've kind of given a good, in a lot of ways, a good another good tease for next week's episode. So, uh, uh huh, clever girl. Uh. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Where can the good people find the work of Sebastian Shug, Esquire? Well, 
you could find me in a plethora of different places and primarily i've i've shifted gears a bit so to speak and have since decided to work on projects that have more suited my my interests you could find me uh quite succinctly enough at sebastianrshug.com yes i do have a new website and it does save me the hassle and time of having to proclaim all of my social media. For those of you inclined to do so, you can follow me at Dr. Sebi on Instagram. And uh, when it comes to Twitter, <laughs> uh, just kidding. You can also find me on YouTube uh, under the handle of Seabass. And if you like audio recordings uh, strictly, feel free to check out Shugzy Storytime. It's essentially just an archive it's also in audiobook format now, so if you like what you hear, give it a watch, give it a listen, give it a download, give it a purchase, do whatever you want to do, have fun with it, and essentially, yeah. Where could the good people find you? So, as always, I'm on Instagram, at Mancini Ryan. Uh, tried, I've tried taking a little bit of time off from social media, but... Uh, Things being as they are with the pandemic, it's not so easy. Um, but then with Twitter, I'm, of course, there at Mancini RA, being as mo much more sardonic and observational than I've probably ever been just because, you know, the hilarity of Twitter over the last couple of months has definitely died down. And I'm afraid that it's really gone down a dark path with this new thing called Fleets which I'm not sure if you've heard about them. It's basically the equivalent of an Instagram or Facebook story. And huh. it's really distracting. And it, it, it makes me... Fleets. That's what they're calling them. Fleets. Like the Imperial Fleet or a oh, naval okay. fleet. Interesting. Um, but I think it's... Maybe it's supposed to be evocative of like a flock of birds. Birds tweet, Maybe. tweet Twitter. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's jarring. It's, did you hear about that new, and I'm sorry to kind of, this will be my last question, but did you hear about yeah. that new like free speech conservative uh, Twitter app? It's called I've heard like, about that. It's, it starts with Prancer, a P. Prancer, uh, Planter, I'm genuinely spitballing because I've, I've forgotten the name. Yeah, I'm not, no. I'm not trying to rip it a new one, even though I probably will <laughs> in the future. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like this new one that uh, uh, Parlor. There we go. Parlor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a bit weird. You could find me on Parlor. I'm kidding. Um, not only would I not dare to use it for sake of I don't want to even think about politics. I've heard that the UI isn't exactly user friendly, so it's like, eh, fuck it. Chuck it in the garbage. Interesting. It's been around since September 2018. Huh. I, th I seriously thought this was like a brand new thing, but that's it's, weird. It's taking notice now because a lot of people are making the Moses-like jaunt exodus away from Twitter and uh, in, uh, in lieu of, not in lieu of, but uh, in search of freer speech. Mm-hmm. Freer, yeah. We're 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 still vague. Well, we're it's not that we're in the political zone. I think we're just can't we, get we've circumvented it. it in a way. Yeah. 
So, well, as always, till, this has been Mars on Life, and uh, till next time, till next week. Yeah, what what you said. Thank you for listening to Mars on Life. You can find us over on Instagram and on Twitter at Mars on Life Show. Uh, in terms of listening to the show, you can find us wherever podcasts are found. Uh, that includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and Radio Public. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel. That way you can find our full catalog of episodes. Our artwork is done by Zachary Erbrick, and our intro music is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. I've been Ryan Mancini. My co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. And just remember, if you keep on going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>